Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. So our study is more of a topical study focusing on Jesus as our high priest and all of the ways that he's better than the old system of Judaism. So it's, we're not doing line upon line, but we're doing more topics. And I, f- I sound really loud to myself. Do I sound okay to y'all? Okay, good. All righty. So it's more topical, but tonight in Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to be doing line upon line. Part of my calling is to help people understand the humanity of Jesus. Because when we understand his humanity, when we understand what our high priest is like at that throne of grace, then we have grace for ourselves. One of the ways I've been trying to renew my mind lately is there are times when I want to beat myself up. And I'll just say, I'm not beating myself up. I showed up for an appointment a few weeks ago an hour late. Like my appointment started at 10. They texted me, 10:15. are you coming? I wrote back, yes. I showed up at 11. I was an hour late. And as I left, I was like, I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm not going to beat myself up. I had to pay a $50 fee. You know, sometimes you have to pay when you don't show up for your appointments. But I just tried to tell myself maybe there was a reason. There was a reason why I was not there at 10 o'clock. So I tried to turn it around and show great, I was grateful to God for whatever that reason was. So I'm renewing my mind because I've experienced the grace of the Lord because my high priest, my Savior, is human. He may have been late or two, a time or two, you know. (laughs) Uh, So let's pray. Father, I just thank you for tonight. I thank you for your grace and mercy. And God, I pray that you would help us to have a better understanding of that, that we would know you. I ask right now that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. A spirit of wisdom and revelation. We want to come to know you better. So right now I ask that you would equip every mind, every heart, every ear, Equip every person to hear from your Holy Spirit the truth about your nature. And I ask even that you would bypass me. If you can use a donkey, you can use me to speak. God, would you speak to your people directly? You know exactly where they are tonight. You know where they need grace, where they're struggling. You know areas where they are seeing you as a different type of father than who you really are. So God, reveal yourself to them tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So last week, I got myself in deep trouble up here. As you've noticed, if you've watched me teach for the last four or so years here at Global River, I'm trying to get more distant from my notes. In the beginning, I had like 18 pages of notes, and I was, I was stuck to it. And it's a control thing, because as long as I'm right there with my notes, and I don't deviate from my notes, I don't get myself in deep trouble. Last week, I got in deep water Because I stood up here and thought, hmm, did Jesus ever doubt? Like right in front of all of y'all, I thought, hmm, I wonder if Jesus ever doubted. And and I didn't know the answer to that. 
But I, and I'll be the first to tell y'all, I don't know everything. I, I, I direct all hard questions to Pastor Tom or Google. Because today I was Googling, did Jesus ever doubt? Um, but here's what I thought before I sought Google. You know, there are, we are all being perfected in love. The Bible says there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. I don't know about you, but I am not all the way perfected in love. I'm in process. I'm in that process of being sanctified, of being made like Jesus day by day as I walk with him, talk with him, go through trials, go through struggles, study my word, worship him. We are in that process of being made like Jesus. I'm not perfect today, but when I see Jesus face to face, I'm going to be like him. I'm going to be perfect. Now, when we're not perfected in love, then, then we fear and we struggle and we worry and we don't understand the grace of God. We feel that distance from him when we mess up. But Jesus, I believe, was perfect in love because he knew his father the way his father really was. He didn't have that, um, that filter of, of looking at a father the way we look at fathers. He came right from the heart of God. He knew the love of God. I believe he was perfect and made perfect in love. Now, was he certain of everything that was going to happen? I don't know. But I don't think he doubted because he, I believe he was perfect in love. So there's Lisa's answer trying to get herself out of deep water. Again, Pastor Tom, <laughs> Google. That's a real thing to think about is, um, you know, Jesus understands all of our struggles. He was tempted in everything as we are, but without sin. So, oh, one thing that I did find as I was Googling, um, you know, Thomas, he doubted. But what did that lead to? It read to a, led to a revelation of who Jesus really was. It was like, my Lord and my God. Even through his doubt, he received a revelation of who Jesus was. So there's grace for us even when, when we struggle. Lisa, let me give you more grace, okay? Yes. Um, you're not in any deep trouble. Okay. Okay? And there's a scripture, because I remember where, when Jesus was carrying all of the weight of sin. Mm-hmm. He said, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken yes, me? Yes, he questioned. And so um, he struggled with, he said he was tempted in all ways. Yeah, you shared right, that last week. Right. So uh, I, think it's, I think it's a really good question. It is. Right? It is. Right? She's you. not in deep trouble? No. <laughs> but I felt like it. I felt out of control. But no. I'm growing. I'm yeah. growing in that. Okay, so I do want to point out a couple commentaries that I have. Um, my big pink commentary was too heavy for me to carry. But I have Wearsby, and I have Holman, and I'm going to refer to these a lot. And I just would love your feedback if the quotes from the commentaries are helpful or not, because I feel like these gentlemen can say some things better than I can because they've studied it like they've written books about it. Um, so I would love your feedback. Okay, so let's review from chapter 4 that we covered last week. Um, this, the author of the book is, is anonymous. Um, certain Bibles, I think the King James attributes it to Paul, but scholars will say that, that they're not sure. There's, it doesn't say, I, Paul, have written to you with my own hand, okay? It's a letter of exhortation, and this is on your handout. Um, I believe that's Hebrews 13, 22. 
I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation. And as I shared last week, there are lots of exhortations, all the places where they say, let us. When you see a let us, that's an exhortation. 12 of them in Hebrews. There's also warnings, and uh, I like to cover the, the good stuff, like who Jesus is. I'm going to stop tonight right before the big warning. <laughs> um, and, and I don't know what exactly Bishop will cover um, next week if he'll pick up there, but I do know he's going to cover all the way up to chapter 7 and 8 while I'm in Costa Rica. So that'll be the covenant and um, Melchizedek. Melchizedek, yeah. So I'm leaving the hard stuff to him. So the audience, they were in danger of apostasy. And the reason that the author goes through all these different ways that Jesus is better is he's trying to convince them, don't fall back into your former way of living. Don't go back to the old ways because Jesus provided a superior way. So that is the theme. Jesus is better. The primary theme, Jesus is better. Can y'all put up the first slide, the Jesus is better slide? Yes. Okay, so chapter one is basically he's better than the angels. Lots of scriptures about Jesus compared to the angels. He's better than the Old Testament prophets. Chapter three, he's better than Moses. Chapter four, we learned last week, he's better than Joshua. Joshua was not able to lead them into the rest of God. Therefore, there remains a rest for the people of God. Let us be diligent to enter that rest. Tonight, we're going to learn about the priesthood. And I know it's somewhat enigmatic when we say Jesus is our high priest, but we're going to explain some of that tonight. We're going to learn that the priesthood of Jesus was better than that of the human priesthood of Aaron. So Jesus is better. And in the coming weeks, Bishop's going to talk about the better covenant based on better promises. We're going to learn that Jesus had a better blood. He offered a better sacrifice. He was in the more perfect tabernacle. It goes on and on. He's better. Wearsby says the religious system of the Mosaic law was imperfect because it couldn't accomplish that once for all redemption that was eternal. Next slide, please. And the core truth in this book, if you, if you forget everything else, this is what I want you to come away with. We have access into God's presence through Jesus, our high priest. We have direct access with confidence. With confidence, we have direct access. Even when we've road raged, like y'all have heard that I've done. We confess, we're forgiven, we repent. We have access. So I covered last week Hebrews 4. And actually, we, we did some of Hebrews 2, 3, and 4, because what I was trying to express and what we'll cover a little more tonight was that Jesus was human. He had to be chosen from among humans so that 
He could be our merciful and faithful high priest. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. He was tempted in everything. That's why that throne is a throne of grace. So many of us try to do everything right to please God, and we just get worn out. That's one of the things Jenny was talking about last night. We get worn out when we just try to do everything right to please God. But there's a throne of grace. It's not a throne of judgment. A throne of grace. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, um, one of the commentators said that Jesus had a better sympathy He has a better sympathy with us because he knows what it's like to be a man. So a little bit of review from last week because I'll probably use this again. Um, Let's see, I think, um, did I skip something? No. Okay, that's fine. So indicative and imperative, do y'all remember that from last week? Indicative is a statement of fact in the Bible. Imperative is what God is commanding us to do. The imperative is a command. The indicatives of the Bible tell us what God has already done for us and who we are in Christ. And then where it says, therefore, draw near to the throne of grace, that is what it's telling you to do. The indicative in this, my favorite, Hebrews 4, um, 16, starts with, well, the passage kind of starts with 14, where it says, He was a a man, a high priest from among men. But the indicative is Jesus was a human high priest. And then the command is draw near to him with boldness. Because of his humanity, because of his humanity, the indicative of who we are in Christ drives that imperative of drawing near. So the who, I have a sweet friend who's 17 watching probably from Canada, and she was, we were FaceTiming while I was making these slides, and she recognized the five W's and an H, and she said, is that in the Bible? I was like, yeah. And we turned to it, and it didn't say who and what. (laughs) I was like, yeah, all that's in the Bible. Everything, the who, us, what, draw near, how, with confidence. So, Aislinn, if you're watching, that's for you, sweetie. But she's learning along with us. So, who, us, what are we told to do? Draw near, where? To the throne of grace. How? With confidence, with boldness. When? When we're in time of need. Why? To receive mercy, find grace to help. If I go to heaven preaching this, I will be a happy woman. I will be a happy woman. Grace, time of need. Okay, so let's jump in. I feel like I'm talking really fast, but I drank a Coke, so (laughs) sorry. (laughs) I drank a Coke. Hey, honey. Yep. uh, Terry told me to be me, so I just was letting a little bit of me come out there. It's fun. Okay, so let's talk about high priest. You need a little bit of fun when you're talking about high priest. And I'll be the first to say I'm not an expert in all of the Old Testament rules about high priest. I can talk about Jesus from Hebrews, the high priest. But if you'll turn with me to Exodus 29, we're going to look at the goal of the high priest and these offerings. Exodus 29 starting with verse 42. And the context here 
is some of it's he's talking about the sacrifices. These are the this is the law concerning sacrifices in the tent of meeting, okay? Starting with verse 42, it shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. I love that. The whole purpose of all of this is God wants to meet with them. God wants to meet with them. Verse 43, there it is again. And I will meet there with the sons of Israel, and it shall be consecrated by my glory. 44, and I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priest to me. 45, and I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. 46, and they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. Yo, this excites me. This excites me. The whole reason for this whole system of sacrifice was God wanted to be with them. I will dwell with them. I will meet there with the sons of Israel. I will meet with you to speak to you. And then verse 46 um, I butcher the Hebrew, but it's, um, let me make sure I get it right. Yeah, yada, Yahweh, Elohim. They shall know that I am the Lord, their God. They shall know. That's the whole purpose. They shall know, verse 46, they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. There it is. God needed a high priest to make offerings for the sins of the people so that he might dwell with them. They might know him. From the beginning, from the Garden of Eden, the whole reason God made us was to dwell with us, to meet with us, to be with us, to be our God. Adam and Eve messed it up. And so God instituted this system of the high priest offering sacrifices to atone for the people. The whole reason for any of this, those laws, was God wanted to be with his people. And we know that Jesus was the ultimate great high priest. It's all because God wants to be with you. Just think about your day. Did you, were you with God today? Yeah, were you with God today? It could have been just a few moments in the morning. It could have been your drive here. But God wants to be with you, with you, with you. That's why, that's why all of this, that's why he did all this. He wants to dwell with us. He wants us to know him. So that's why Jesus had to sacrifice himself so we would be holy because then we had direct access. We, didn't, we don't have to go through a high priest anymore. We could just walk right in. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's, like, <laughs> that's February. So turn to Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5, starting with verse 1. I believe this is on your handout. It says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men and things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. So high priests were taken from among men. Verse 2, 
he can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins. As for the people, so also for himself. So what we see from this passage, just looking at this, what did the high priest do? Who was the high priest? He represented the people before God. He had to be a man who could understand and feel the pain of guilt and sin. He dealt with sin, this thing that separates us before God. This high priest dealt with it. He had to sacrifice for his own sin. And he carried out his general priestly duties. They ministered, and I'm getting a little bit away from this passage, but they also ministered annually on the Day of Atonement. And that was the one day of the year when the priest could enter the most holy place. So, oh, this was a little bit of a sidetrack, but it's good. So when I studied the high priest, I probably studied this. Um, let's wait on that one just a minute. I studied this maybe three or four years ago in depth, and this one, this one part really touched my heart. So we're going to look for just a minute. You could just go black if you want to. That's fine. We'll keep going. So... I want to talk about how these high priests were clothed, because I think this is important. They had to dress, dress in a specific way. God specified in detail what they were to wear. As part of Aaron's garments, he wore stones to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. If you can turn with me to Exodus 28. Exodus 28. We're going to start with verse 2. And I'm going to skip around a little bit, but I'm going to tell you where we're going. Verse 2. You shall make, this is God speaking, I guess to Moses, yes. You shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. And then jump down to verse 15. You shall make a breastpiece of judgment, the work of a skillful workman, like the work of the ephod. You shall make it of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen you shall make it. It shall be square and folded double, a span in length and a span in width. You shall mount on it four rows of stones. The first row shall be a row of ruby, topaz, and emerald. The second, a, a turquoise, sapphire, and a diamond. The third, a, I can't say that, jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, and an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. The stone shall be according to the names of the sons of Israel, 12 according to their names. They shall be like the engravings of a seal, each according to his name for the 12 tribes. Aaron, verse 29, see, I jumped down to 29. Aaron shall carry the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment over his heart 
when he enters the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. So Aaron, when he went before the Lord to sacrifice for the sins of people, he carried the names of the tribes of Israel over his heart. All of them, each one, nobody was left out. He represented each one when he went into the holy place. And as I read that, it just broke me down into tears because I thought, well, if Jesus is our high priest and the high priest carried the names of all the people over his heart when he went in to sacrifice, do you think that when Jesus died on the cross, as a high priest, that our names were written on his heart. Isn't that a good revelation? That our names, I believe, if Jesus is our high priest, I believe our names were written on his heart. I think that um, we learned that there are shadows of things in the earthly realm. There are things that happen in the earthly realm that are just shadows of what happens in the heavenly realm. When we study um, the, the temple, the tabernacle, the Old Testament tent of meeting versus all the things Jesus did, the things on this earth are just a shadow of what's really happening in the heavens. And I believe that the high priest Aaron carrying the names of all the people, all of them, on his heart, I think it, it was a shadow of what Jesus would do because Jesus wants none to perish, wants all to come to repentance. He thought of all of us. You've heard it said when Jesus died on the cross, he had you in mind. If you were the only one, he would have died for you. I believe he had our names over his heart, over his heart. Isn't that a good diversion? That was so good to me when I studied that. Broke me down into tears. I burst into tears. Our names are still written over his heart. So let's move on to looking at how Jesus was a better or superior high priest. So the priests came from the Levites. The Levites would go into the tent of meeting, later into the temple to perform priestly duties. But only the sons of Aaron were allowed to be the high priests. Hebrews 5, this is on your handout. I'm going to read 1, 4 through 6, and then 10. This, again, is review. I've already read verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men and things pertaining to God to offer both sacrifices, I'm sorry, to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. And no one takes the honor to himself but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. That's important. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Just as he says also in another passage, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And then jump down to verse 10, it's again talking about Jesus being designated by God as a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And so, tonight we're covering Hebrews 5, 1 through 10. And then he goes into a, a digression. He leaves off this being designated with, 
as a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And then he's going to pick back up with it after this digression. And since Bishop gets to do the hard stuff, he'll cover Melchizedek in depth <laughs> next week. I will touch on Melchizedek a little bit. So in the Old Testament, how were the priests called? How were they called? You could not appoint yourself a priest, much less a high priest. Exodus 28, 41 where he's describing the, the, the garments of the high priest. It says, you shall put them, and it's referring to the tunics and the sashes and the caps, on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him. You shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priest. So Exodus 29, there's a whole process of how this was to happen how they were consecrated. They were anointed with oil. They were, or they, were, they were ordained. They were ordained. So priests were consecrated, anointed, and ordained. No one could appoint themselves as a priest, much less a high priest. There was a process of how they were chosen. So, examples of men who appointed themselves as priests. Saul lost his kingdom over this. There was a battle that was going to happen. Samuel said, wait for me. And when Samuel didn't arrive in time, Saul decided he was going to burn the incense before the Lord. He lost his kingdom over that. Because he was not, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. He wasn't even a Levite. And he lost his kingdom because he defied God's rules of who may enter. God had, there was a, a system. There was prescribed way, a law. Okay, next is Korah. And there is a correction. I've written Numbers 13. It's actually Numbers 16. The rebellion of Korah. Korah rebelled against Moses and Aaron. I'm just going to read verse, um, I think that's 40. So when God punished Korah, it said, the purpose was that no outsider who was not of the descendants of Aaron should draw near to burn incense before the Lord, lest he become like Korah, and his company, and they all died, right? Weren't they just, yeah, they all died. So you, a regular old Joe couldn't approach God's, God's presence. King Uzziah was smote with leprosy by trying to do this. That's 2 Chronicles 26, 16 through 21. So the sons of Aaron, they were chosen they were ordained and installed. Now, Jesus wasn't even from the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah. So how could he become a high priest? What we're going to see is that Jesus' appointment was even superior to Aaron's. I mean, the sons of Aaron. Can you all find that slide again? I think I had it out of order. That's why I got confused. It's the um, Jesus had a better ordination. 
Yeah, there we go. That's why I got confused. <laughs> Had it out of order. So Jesus, we see in, the, in Hebrews 5, he was appointed. In verse 4, he was called. He was called by God. Verse 10, he was designated a high priest. If you've heard this once, you're going to hear it a bunch of times because it said over and over, even into chapter 7, he was designated a quarter according to the order of Melchizedek. I think I need to stop and pray again. Father, I just ask that you would give me peace, Lord. I am talking about stuff I don't know a whole lot about. This Old Testament Korah and Urim and thumbing, and God, just give me peace. God, let me get through the hard part so I can talk about Jesus more. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Trust. I'm out of control, but he's in control, right? I'm I'm out of control, but he's in control. And Walter Goey, you walked in, and I just so, I admire you so much. And I'm just a little bit intimidated because I just, you're such a great teacher. So I just want to honor you. You're such a great teacher. I'm glad you're here. (laughs) And honey, I need you to come sit on the front row. We got to get everything fixed, right? I need you on the front row. Then I'll be good. Thank you, honey. So even in the Psalms, Psalm 110.4, thank you. God says about Jesus, you're a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So Melchizedek is this mysterious Old Testament figure. He appears in Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20. He was a king and a priest. And his name, I hope I'm not getting too far ahead, Bishop, but you can review it. His name means king of righteousness. He was the king of Salem, and he was a priest. And he brings out bread and wine and blesses Abram. Yeah, (laughs) we'll stop there. So like Aaron, Jesus was called, but his priesthood was superior. He was designated according to this order of Melchizedek. He was called. Grab that scripture for you. Verse Hebrews 5, 4, no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God. He was called by God. So if you guys will hit that next slide, I just have a short, um, that's kind of hard to see. Can y'all see it okay? All right, so Aaron's priesthood, he offered the sacrifices of animals. And Bishop's going to show us that the blood of bull and goat, bulls and goats couldn't do anything for us. And that's, we're going to, I'm going to cover that as well. Jesus offered the sacrifice of himself. He has a superior priesthood. So Aaron was not spoken to directly to declare his priesthood. Remember, God spoke through Moses, told Moses to call the sons of Aaron. But God spoke directly to Jesus to declare his priesthood. And he was called according to that order. He was called according to that order. Aaron was a mortal priest, and Jesus was an immortal priest. So Jesus has a superior priesthood. Is that pretty clear? He's a better high priest. God called him to that task. Verse 
in Hebrews 7, and when it talks about he's a priest forever, Hebrews 7, 23 through 28, talks about how he can give us salvation forever. He is, oh, I'm going to get myself in deep water. I'm going to pull a Pastor Tom and say, let's turn everybody to Hebrews 7, 23 through 28. My little brain can mix up scriptures and run them together and meld them into new ones. And I don't ever want to um, lead you astray. So Hebrews 7, 23 through 28. Oh, yeah, there it is. Verse 25. I was close. And I think my brain is also a little off because I've been cramming my Spanish. Like I'm sleeping now listening to Spanish podcasts. 10 a.m. I had tuve mi lesión en español con mi tutor de Costa Rica. I mean, I had my lesson, one-hour tutoring session, and then I did more Spanish. And my brain is like, I'm in English and Spanish. The words aren't coming out right. And bless me, Lord. But um, I'm cramming for that trip. <laughs> Hebrews 7, 25. He is able to save forever. He's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. Oh, this is a great verse. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. So he's an immortal priest. The sacrifices of Aaron and their, his sons, they, could, they really only lasted for a year. And then the next day of atonement, he had to go in and sacrifice again. But the sacrifice of Jesus, this once-for-all sacrifice, he's able to save us forever. He's an immortal priest. He saves us forever. Thank you for that smile, Christy. <laughs> he saves us forever. That's good stuff. So he was called to a superior order of priest. Melchizedek wasn't just a priest. He was a priest and a king, just like Jesus is a priest and a king. And Jesus isn't just a high priest, but he's a high priest seated in the heavens at the right hand of God. He's got a throne. He's got a throne. So these truths, again, will be developed more. They, they build upon each other in the coming weeks. So I want to talk about Jesus being that merciful, sympathetic Savior So let's jump back. Now that we've kind of described who these high priests were, how they were called, what Jesus was like in relation to these human high priests. He had this superior ordination, but he also has, has a superior, he has a superior sympathy. Hebrews 5.1. This is our third time reading it. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men, verse 2. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided. That gives me hope. Since he himself also is beset with weakness. That word gently, what it means is that the high priest wasn't harsh or calloused towards sinners because he knew what it was like to be one. It's hard to be, okay, so last night the ladies were talking about um, overeating and food and sugar. And I just confess that I, I, I eat a lot of sugar. 
<laughs> I start early. I don't, like, not before 10 o'clock usually unless it's a bad day, but, like, I start with my 10 o'clock candy, and then right after lunch, I always have a little bit of chocolate, and then when I wake up from my nap, some type of cookie, right? Jan, I mean, Jan has been my cookie source for many years. Like, the chocolate, it's not all in one sitting, but it's spread out through the day. And Tony spoke up and named the thing. She said, sugar addiction. Now, I can't judge Tony, who also confessed to a sugar addiction, because I've got one too. I can't judge someone who says they overeat because I'm not taking care of my body in the same way. So if the high priests were beset with weakness, they could deal gently with those that were also beset with weakness. I can sit down and talk to someone who's also dealing with a sugar addiction, and I'm not going to judge them. I'm not going to be critical of them because I ain't got no room to talk. I've got no room to judge anybody about a sugar addiction or some other addictions that I'm not going to name. <laughs> like maybe shopping. Maybe shopping. Maybe shopping. Help me, Lord. Shopping. Shopping. Can we just turn this into a Celebrate Recovery meeting? Hi, I'm Lisa, and I'm addicted to shopping and sugar. Maybe some other things. <laughs> Hi, Lisa. Yeah, it's a great place. But I can't judge anybody that says they shop too much because, honey, don't say anything. See him just nodding his head. Don't say anything. I have to pay the bills. So he says, as long as you can get the bills paid. I mean, I'm the one that I've got to figure it out. So there's no judgment when you're also beset with weakness. So Jesus came to the earth. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. He became a person in this human skin. He may have been tempted with an addiction. Who knows? Maybe to his favorite bread. He knows what it's like. He was a human being. I love that. So how are we to deal with one another? Galatians 6.1 says, brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. I mean, if we all took a good look at ourselves, we don't have room really to judge anybody for anything because we've all got our own areas of, of imperfection where we are also in progress, where God is, where we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling, but the good news is that God is always at work in us to make us willing and, willing and able to obey. So we're all in process. Wearsby says this, it can be hard for sinners to have compassion on sinners. We can be selfish and hard-hearted, which causes us to be judgmental towards sinners instead of compassionate. But because Jesus is a perfect high priest, he is able to meet the needs of sinners. So the high priest is gentle towards sinners, gentle towards those who stray because of ignorance. Have y'all ever strayed because of ignorance? There are sometimes there are things that I see, even um, 
Last night, I was watching, I, I did fast. I did a 24-hour fast of entertainment. And I'm also fasting um, in the mornings. I like to make my note cards with my coffee and Netflix. But right now, I'm listening to a great courses on the New Testament. So I'm fasting my entertainment before I go to Costa Rica. But I did my entertainment fast. So last night, you know, about 10, I was maybe 9.30. It was late. I decided to watch a PBS show. They've made a show of um, Jane Austen's unpublished novel. It's called Sanditon. And I've watched every Jane Austen movie there is, every version. I love those things. But even in that movie, I knew it was coming. There was a naked man from the behind. You know, it was a, it was a, it was a far away shot, but he's running across the beach into the ocean. I was led away by ignorance. I didn't know it was coming. I didn't want to see it. I even kind of held up. I knew it was coming, and I thought it was past. But then when I finally looked up, there's the man streaking across the beach. And I'm like, how am I supposed to keep a pure heart with that? I was like, oh, Lord, forgive me. It's not really what... No, no, not for you. But y'all know there are times that we see things we don't want to see. We are led away in our own ignorance. I mean, even look at um, Aaron, who was a high priest. Now, this is a willful sin, but he made a golden calf. This high priest, he knows what it's like to make big, big mistakes. So, Holman... This other commentator that I have, the Holman Commentary, he pointed out that the Old Testament even distinguished between sins of ignorance and sins of willful disobedience. Um, I've got a couple references. I'm not, we're not going to turn there, but they're in Numbers and Leviticus. Is it on the handout? Do I have it there? Numbers 15, verse 28 and 30, Leviticus 5, 17 through 19. So, God has even made provision for us when we sin through ignorance and just plain stupidity. You know how sometimes we'll pray, a lot of times before I get up before the group, I'm like, put my head's on the floor and I'm repenting. I'm repenting of everything I can think of because I want the Holy Spirit to fill me. And I'm like, forgive me for my sins of omission, what I've Um, forgotten, sins of commission. I'm like, God, forgive me. I just name any kind of sin that could even be thought of. Ignorance, sins of ignorance, but there's provision because this high priest knows how to deal gently with the ignorant and the misguided. That's us, (laughs) y'all. That's us. We are the ignorant and the misguided. Jesus knows how to deal gently with us. Now, he didn't come and just slap me around because I saw the naked man running across the screen. He didn't, you know, he didn't say, Lisa, you know, in the past, there have been some PBS shows that had nudity. I mean, it's very rare, but every now and then, this good old BBC television will have a streaker. But he didn't beat me up for it because he knows I didn't mean to. Now, if I was, like, watching HBO, like, that would have been different. That's willful. Like, that's looking for sin. But I was just watching Jane Austen, and there he went. And, yeah, don't look. 
And there have been times when this has happened before where I've had to go to Brian and just confess. And that's what we do. And honey, I saw the streaker on the screen. You were asleep. But but that's what we do so those things don't gain power over us. Because sometimes those images, they, they will seduce you. And I've been there. Those images will seduce you. I had to have, yeah, I'm not going there, but they will. I'm just saying they will. So this is on the slide in the handout. It's up on the screen. The high priest had a special ministry of gentleness and concern for those who knew their weaknesses and failure. That's Holman. Gentleness, concern. That's why we can approach this throne with grace, because we're not going to get slapped around saying, you should have known better. Now, sometimes we should have, and when Holy Spirit needs to speak the truth, it's not in condemnation, but it's in a firm gentleness. So there is condemnation and there's truth. Now, there are some shows where um, God has told me, you can't watch that anymore. And his standard for me is different than his standard for you because he knows what I've gone through. And he knows, he knows where you're weak. He knows where I'm weak. He sets boundaries for us to keep us safe. And our boundaries are different. But we don't get slapped around. We get grace. Thank the Lord. Okay, Hebrews 5, 7 through 10. Aren't y'all glad I stopped and prayed? Because that really helped me. And Walter, I hope I didn't put you on the spot, but I just you're such a great teacher. I'm so glad to see you here. I really am. Hebrews 5, 7 through 10. This is on your handout. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications. This is talking about Jesus. With loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son... He learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. He's able to save forever. Verse 10, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So it's an interesting thing. Why did Jesus need to learn anything? Why did he need to learn obedience? Because if you think about it, one could argue that if Jesus was God, that he was already omniscient. He already knew everything. But if you remember from my sermon up here, um, I think it was August. Remember how we talked about Philippians 2, the Christ hymn, how Jesus emptied himself and I believe when Jesus came to the earth, he laid down some of his divine attributes. I think he laid down omniscience because he had to learn some things when he got to the earth. He had to learn obedience. Luke 2.52 says, And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. Jesus had to grow in wisdom. He had to learn some things. Likewise, he had to learn obedience. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. And so this is just an aside as I was studying this. If Jesus was willing to surrender some of his divine attributes to become a man for us, what can we surrender 
I got, I'm just going to warn you now, this morning, I prayed, a, I'm just in this crazy, bold move. This morning, I prayed for fire. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm just sweet little church lady. I don't pray for God to anoint me with fire. But this morning, near tears, I was praying for fire. I was praying for fire, but if I'm going to let God fill me with the fire of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to have to lay down some of my control, <laughs> right? I'm going to have to lay down some of my control. I'm going to have to lay down my need for everything to start on time and be planned. I'm like, God's breaking down this nuclear engineer. <laughs> Ooh, it's tough. And I think going to Costa Rica, y'all pray for me because I'm a control person who's got every little detail planned out and... Every little thing I might ever need is either in my bag or in my car. You need a steamer, it's in my car. <laughs> you need a hammock, I got a hammock. I've got jumper cables, deodorant. I've got everything you might need, like either in my bag. I've got a Swiss Army knife, just like Daniel. I mean, I am prepared. I'm a Boy Scout, but I'm allowed one international suitcase and one carry-on bag in my purse. How am I? I mean, I've already decided my travel steamer. It's really small. It can probably fit. But um, that's going to be tough for me. Pero para más fuego, necesito lay aside control for more fire. I'm going to have to. Things might get messy with me, y'all. So just, like, be prepared. Oh, I like the horse. Yeah, we're, we're, we're out of our comfort zones. So back to Jesus learning obedience. Why did he need to learn obedience? Holman says, and y'all, I wouldn't need so many commentaries if Hebrews weren't so hard. It's hard stuff. I'll read it, and I'm like, I have no idea what that means. So thank God for wise men. But I try to study it first for myself, and then when I'm if I really just have no idea, I'll pull out the commentary. But usually I want to study and discern for myself what the Word is saying from study, from inductive study. Okay, Holman says, Jesus, he learned what was involved in following obedience. Learning this trait equipped him to understand better the struggles and weaknesses of human beings. It added to Jesus' skills in showing sympathy with wandering sinners. So Jesus, according to Wearsby, says Jesus didn't need to learn how to obey, but he had to learn what was involved in obedience. He learned obedience. So I think about me in the Trader Joe's parking lot when the Lord says, go pray for them. Like, like go pray for them. And I get in the car and drive away. <laughs> I've done that. You've probably done it too, where God says them, and you're like, oh, am I really hearing you, Lord? No, I'm in a hurry. I've got to make this appointment. I need to honor my time, my commitments. You know, we give all these, all these reasons, excuses. Jesus knows the difficulty in obedience because he's walked a life of obedience. He knows the struggles that we face in obedience. So when we mess it up, like we will, at least I will, I'm going to mess up again. Probably going to road rage again, maybe. Um, but Jesus knows what it's like when we don't obey fully. So he can offer this superior sympathy because he knows what it's like. He knows what it's like. 
That's why he had to learn obedience. He can show sympathy to the ignorant and misguided. I love that. Wearsby says, this is on the slide, from birth to death, our Lord experienced the sinless infirmities of human nature. That's a good way to put it. Because he was sinless, but he understood the weaknesses of being in a human body. I mean, pinch, that hurts. That really hurts. I believe when Jesus pinched, it hurt him too. Because he was in a human body. So verse 7, let me go back. Hebrews 5, 7 says, He offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And I believe that's referencing the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's in Matthew 26. He was faced with physical death, which painful. It was going to be a, okay, I'm going to get myself in trouble. Um, I don't know if Jesus knew the type of death, but it was going to be a humiliating death. That's what we know now. I don't know if Jesus knew how he would be put to death, but he was crucified. That was a humiliating death. He was faced with becoming sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Did I get it right? Yeah, close. I don't know the reference, but Pastor Tom probably does or Google. I'm just going from memory. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And then we know he was separated from God. When he became sin, he was separated from God because in God's holy presence, there can't be sin. He was separated. That was the agony he was going to be separated from his father. So Jesus experienced the ultimate in suffering. So that if you're suffering, he can offer you sympathy. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows humiliation. He knows betrayal. He knows agony. He knows being separated from someone. He knows, so he can offer sympathy. In my notes when I was um, reading about this, like it just says, wow. <laughs> because Holman, this is on your handout. The fact that Jesus experienced the cup of death qualified him to sympathize with human beings all the better. In the wilderness temptations, Jesus refused to appeal to angelic forces to rescue him. He saw the road of the Father's will and followed it without flinching. This caused him great suffering. It also enabled him to identify with the sufferings of human beings. He is a merciful, sympathetic Savior. He's got a superior sympathy because he knows he knows. He also knew weariness. John 4, 6, Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. 
He knew the frailties of being a human. Um, Sunday morning, after a very intense week of preaching and teaching and helping my mom downsize so they could move and bringing my nieces to Wilmington, two days at the dentist, which involved shots. Anytime people are having shots in their mouth, it's hard stuff. And being the aunt, I wasn't hurt physically, but my heart broke for the pain she was in. And then I drove them back Tuesday and then came here Wednesday. Sunday morning, I got up and my body said, no, (laughs) you are done. You are not going anywhere. You are done. I could just feel like the rising water and it was like, oh, you're done. So I stayed home. I watched. I heard most of your sermon online. I enjoyed the worship and seeing the men jump. That was awesome worship. But does Jesus judge me? He knows what it's like to be weary, worn out, pressed upon. There's grace. There's grace. I'm so thankful there's grace. Because I'm learning, like I I learned, I know where I went wrong in that. I know why I got overwhelmed. I know the bad decisions I made with my boundaries. So I'm learning from it. But I'm so thankful that there's grace, that when we bite off more than we can chew, and we end up in the bed and we can't do anything because of it, there's grace and we can learn from it. We're always learning. Okay, so I'm going to wrap this up. And I've already covered, um, yeah, verse 9. Having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. So being made perfect in the biblical sense means being brought to completion. It's not like he did everything perfectly, but it's being brought to a completion. He, He hit the mark. He hit the mark, and I believe that's the, what that word means, is, is to hit the mark. To, it's like I, I picture it as an arrow going to the bullseye to make it to the end, to be brought to the end. He said, it is finished. He, he did it. He hit the mark. And having been made perfect, he became for us the source of eternal salvation. Holman says, Jesus' perfection was the completion of someone who had faced trials, endured them, and learned to trust God through them. Aren't we in that place of learning just to trust when things happen, not to panic, but to just trust? God, I know you're going to work this out. I know you knew this was going to happen. I know that I'm going to learn something through it. Even through failure, we learn There was, um, I was thinking this morning, about four years ago, almost to the day, it was probably the third week in February 2016, I said I was never, I never wanted to stand on this stage again. I said that. I never, I probably said it to Brian, (laughs) I never want to stand on that stage again. Because I, I had failed at some things, but I learned through it. I learned how to do things better the next time. I definitely learned some character. I grew in character through my own mm, not doing things as well as I could have. Could have done things better. But we learn to trust God through the struggles, through the trials, 
through the times of getting it wrong and receiving grace. And grace isn't, I, I don't ever want you to think that I'm saying grace is free license to sin because that is not what I'm talking about. It's not licensed to sin over and over and over and over again. If I road raged every day and said, thank you for your grace, that's not what I'm talking about. When we sin and Holy Spirit points it out, we need to repent. Repent means to change your mind. It means I'm, I'm going to try not to do that again. I'm going to try to go in this rage. Lord, bless that person that just about killed me. Bless them, Lord. Bless them, Lord. Help them get to where they're going. It must be really important because they're going so fast. Bless them, Lord. You know, it means to, to change. So grace is not licensed to sin. Grace is if you sin, come to Jesus. That's what he died for. He knew you were going to. Part of sanctification is you want to become free from that sin. And if you have a besetting sin, call the church office. Come for some prayer ministry. Let us help you get free from that. But Jesus gives us grace where we need it. And he doesn't want us to beat ourselves up for where we have fallen short of the standard we think we should be living up to. Sometimes his standard is, is different than what, what our mama would want us to do. You know, we're trying to do what mama would want us to do or what this person would want us to do or our spouse would want us to do. Instead, we need to go to the Lord, what do you want me to do? And live up to that standard. Okay, so in closing, I want to point out, and um, I've mentioned this before, so Hebrews 5.11 he says, concerning him, he's referring to Melchizedek, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. This is where that warning starts, okay, this digression. And then he's going to jump back at the end of chapter 6 and talk about Melchizedek again. And there's a name for this. It's like a, a bookend. It's like he says, according to the order of Melchizedek. And then he goes on and talks some other things. And then he comes back and says, according to the order of Melchizedek's. And then he just picks right up where he left off, making this argument of Jesus is better. So I want you to see that, and I did read that anytime there were warnings in Hebrews, it was kind of like that. It's like they completely changed subject. And then come right back. So the warnings are somewhat like that. They're bookended. Um, small digression, you know, digressions, like I digress. They get off topic, but then they come right back. Bookends. So I think that's my last slide there. Um, Hebrews 5.10, being designated by God as a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And then at the end of that warning, you've become dull of hearing. <laughs> you, you're, you're, you need to be eating solid meat, but you're drinking milk. Hebrews 6.20, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So it's bookended. So I just wanted you to see that. Okay? So, Father, I just um, <laughs> I thank you, Lord, that your grace is sufficient for us. Lord, I do pray that if there's anyone tonight that, that does have a besetting sin, um, something they can't be fr become free of. God, I know um, people who struggle with addiction, whether it's 
one we consider as sin, like pornography or sugar, which should be considered sin because it's a lack of self-control. God, I just pray for your grace. God, anytime you convict, convict us of sin, Holy Spirit comes with a grace package. When you knock on the door of our lives and say, mm, you shouldn't be doing that, you come. You don't, you're a Southerner. You don't show up empty-handed, but you come with a gift. It's grace. Holy Spirit shows up with grace to help us. And I pray tonight, God, that we would come before you with confidence, even in our weakness and our shortcomings and our ignorance and being misguided, that we would know that, that you don't turn us away, but you accept us. And God, I pray that you would do that work in us, Lord. I pray that you would just hit a fast forward. Just hit a fast forward on that work you're doing in our lives. In that process of sanctification, God, we don't want to just be floundering in sin and repeated mistakes and rage and gossip and being critical and, and addicted. God, in entertainment and fantasy and all of those things that seek to draw us away from knowing you. God, control. God, forgive me for just loving control so much. God, we just, I give you control, God. You're the one that's supposed to have control, not me. Take the reins. <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. We ask Jesus that we would be given that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that we would come to know you as you really are, as the word says you really are, not as what we've been taught or what we learned growing up, but would you speak to each one individually and say, this is who I really am. This is what I'm really like. This is why I did it this way. This is why I became a human so that I could love you in your own weakness. I thank you, Jesus, for your word. I thank you for these that have come tonight. I pray that you would honor them and the ones that have joined us via the live stream, watching now and watching later. Honor each one for sacrificing their time and give back to them the time that they took to, um, to know your word better. We just thank you for your word. We thank you that we can gather together to look at your word. And God, I thank you just for the grace of this body that I can just be real here. And I thank you for the grace of Pastor Tom, just the, um, his willingness to let me grow, God, and to give me opportunities to do what you've put in my heart to do, to teach the Bible and talk about Jesus with a microphone makes it really great. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you.